Hey, drinking buddies, I'm going to be at Lagu Cafe. That's L-A-G-U Cafe in Irvine on Thursday, August 6th for their pop-up event. They'll be featuring pastries from Anaheim's Okayama Kobo Bakery, Tanota's Takoyaki, and of course, Layu Senbei from Drinking Buddy. It's pre-order only, so head to www.okayamakobousa.com slash pop-up and order now. The most important thing is to keep trying things, to be open-minded. Just keep trying, even if it's something you know you don't like. This is The Drinking Buddy Show, where we explore food, craft beverage pairings, and the entrepreneurs and tastemakers behind them. I'm Frank, founder of Drinking Buddy Artisan Snacks, and on today's show, I'll be chatting with John Passow, professional brewer and co-host of a Starter and a Chaser podcast. We'll chat about his brewing experiences in NorCal and Ohio, what he loves about the Cleveland craft beverage scene, and get his beer pairing recommendations. John Passo is a freelance professional brewer and the co-host of a Starter and a Chaser podcast. Never one to settle, John has experience in both the brewing and binting worlds, and has aspirations in tequila and whiskey. He's also been a professional actor. I chatted with him about his varied background, along with what he loves about the beverage and culinary scene in his hometown of Cleveland, Ohio. Back when I lived in Los Angeles, I distilled two batches of absinthe at home, and I was like, you know what, this is kind of fun. And shortly after that, I moved back to Cleveland, Ohio, and read everything I could about winemaking and learned vintning and realized that, why am I doing this? Because my heart lies in beer. So Mm. I changed gears to learning everything I could and uh, started learning everything I can about brewing beer. And one of my good friends, Matt Ogrens, was a home brewer, and I helped with a couple of his batches and then started brewing in my home and quickly moved from extract partial mash brewing to all grain and made a 15 gallon gravity fed brew system that I still own to this day and just kept drinking, kept trying, kept experimenting, kept brewing and eventually became a professional brewer about probably a year after I started home brewing, I became a professional brewer. And what is the homebrew scene like in Ohio? Is it growing? Is it kind of underground? When you were Um, starting? When I was starting, it wasn't like widely publicized. They weren't doing tons of news articles about like this homebrew club or that homebrew club. So you had to ask around at the breweries or go to the homebrew supply shops and say, hey, is there a club? And the homebrew scene really has exploded in the last 10 plus years it's been around for a very long time but now so many people are doing it at home and newspaper articles are printing stories about the local homebrew club so it's taken off for sure yeah now have you been back and forth between ohio and california a few times yes i've spent about a quarter of my life in california lived in los angeles for about five and a half years and Moved back to Cleveland for about five or six years and just finished another stint, probably my final stint in Northern California for six years. So I'm back in Ohio in Cleveland and this is really my home. What took mm-hmm. you out there from Ohio? You'd been in LA, you went back. Well, I was in LA for acting. I was a professional actor, did about okay. 40 movie, TV and commercial projects. But Are I you in IMDb? Out. Yes, I am, actually. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Starship Troopers 2, Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, a bunch of Boston public. I can see you in Pirates of, of the Caribbean, for sure. 
And what brought me to California this last time was I started an organic farm mm. with my ex up there. Yeah. And lived off grid, wow. built a house, built a farm. Unfortunately, that didn't work out and really kind of came back to clean. But the whole time that I was out in Northern California, I did brewery consulting and I worked for some of the breweries out there, Anderson Valley included, and worked for a winery as well, Fatten Farm and Vineyard. Do you still keep a foot in the venting world or are you just 100% beer now? Well, I try not to limit myself to just beer. I don't discriminate against any alcoholic beverage. I, I agree still... with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, while brewing beer is my passion, I still keep my foot in the winemaking world and the, the whiskey industry, mm. the alcohol industry, etc. Do you have an opportunity to do both? Are you a freelance brewer at this point? With COVID shutting so many things down, I'm just kind of doing some consulting here and there. How did you meet Joe then? How did you end up meeting Joe and having a whiskey guy that doesn't drink any beer become your sidekick? That's a fun story. And he's not my sidekick. We're equal in the podcast. He says host and I say host for both of us. So one of my oldest friends, I was in, I think, third grade when he moved across just catty corner to where I lived and we became fast friends and he ended up moving away, I think to Cincinnati a couple years later and we lost touch for about 10 years or something like that. And then reconnected and then lost touch because we're both living in separate States at that point. And then really reconnected pretty hardcore online a couple years ago and have been staying up with each other. And when I moved back, we both wanted to start something together, and the podcast seemed like a logical choice. He's got an extreme amount of knowledge in the whiskey side of things, and I've got an extreme amount of knowledge on the beer side of things, and nobody's doing a combo review podcast of both whiskey and beer. It's either whiskey, wine, or beer. Or it's just one thing, but we found a niche there, and we wanted to fill it, and the rest has been history. Where did he get into whiskey? You guys are friends, but then just because you're moving, you don't keep in touch, but he ends up becoming an expert in an alcohol as well. He was kind of a Budweiser drinker for a long time. And then just, uh, as he says, I made a lot of bad decisions with Jack Daniels. So it wasn't a <laughs> kind of source type aspect, but sure. then his, his wife, Heather, really enjoyed finer whiskeys. Her family is Irish. I think she's second generation. Her father's from Ireland, if I remember oh, correctly. Yeah. So she started really turning him on really good stuff. And that just blew his palate up. And he wanted to really explore and learn as much as he could about that side of things. Has he opened up more to beer thanks to you? I don't want to pat myself on the back, but I'm going to pat myself on the back a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, he's really getting into a lot of different styles because of the podcast and because of what I'm exposing him to. I've planned it so that I'm not just giving him the hoppiest beer right off the bat. I'm slowly sure. working into these things as documented on our podcast. And right. he's really loving these new styles of beer, these new experiences that he's having with the craft side of things. When we return, John shares his thoughts on how to approach beer, even if you don't usually drink it. 
If you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. And if you'd like to support us, be sure to try our one-of-a-kind Japanese artisanal snacks and pick up a Drinking Buddy hat, coaster, and more. Free shipping now available. Go to www.thedrinkingbuddyshop.com and click on Shop for details. The most important thing is to keep trying things, to be open-minded. When somebody comes up to me and says, oh, well, I don't like beer, I always counter with, well, that just means you haven't found the beer that is right for you, that you haven't found the right one to really open your palate up and have a paradigm shift. So number one, just keep trying, even if it's something you know you don't like, like hoppy beers. Just keep trying them because eventually your palate will get used to it. And also you'll stumble across something that you'll be like, wow, this is actually really good. But I always say start off with light beers, pilsners, saisons, and then start working into some of the different more flavorful styles, amber, amber lagers, amber ales, IPAs, stouts, imperial stouts, etc. So it's got to be a slow progression. That would be the best way that I would say to... If you're not a beer fan, to go about trying some stuff and seeing what you might like. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me more about the beer scene in Cleveland right now. What's going on in it? Who are the big guys? What do you like? It is insane here. A lot of people don't realize how culinarily amazing Cleveland is. We have some of the top uh, breweries on the planet here. We have some of the top cooks on the planet here. We're a big melting pot for all sorts of different ethnicities and cultures, German and Polish, African-American, Ethiopian, Chinese, Japanese. And because of that, the food is very good. The food is varied. And same with the beer. We have some of the most amazing breweries on the planet here. We have some of the largest concentrations of breweries per capita in the United States. Some of the really good players in the craft beer scene right now, Great Lakes Brewing Company, of course, is probably our largest brewery here and and one of our oldest craft breweries. I think they were formed in 1988. They're in downtown Cleveland and they're steeped in Cleveland history from a river burning. They've got a burning river ale. <laughs> Elliot Ness used to drink in the location where they have sure. their brew pub. And they That's actually cool. have a bullet hole in the bar that Elliot Ness wow. put there. So they have the <laughs> Elliot Ness Amber Lager. And so they're yeah. steeped in Cleveland history. And then there's Fathead's Brewing Company. Matt Cole is the owner and brewmaster there. Just amazing hobby beers. I mean, there's so much creativity and so much innovation that's going on with that scene. It's hard to list them because they're all just doing really cool stuff. I mean, you could throw a stone and hit a good brewery. They might be mad at you for throwing stones at them, but you can throw <laughs> but a stone. But not if you shoot a bullet. Brewery. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. As long as it's a historic bullet, it's all good. Yeah, unless it's a historic bullet. They got to be Elliot Ness to do it. Yeah, that's awesome. This makes me really curious about the place. Are there some good festivals that you'd recommend? Obviously, COVID right now, it's canceled a lot of stuff all over the country. But normally, if I was going to go there... In addition to being culturally varied, we're also a party town. So there's usually something going on any given week. The Feast of the Assumption is a really good one. And even if you're not religious, it's very accepting event that they hold in Little Italy near downtown Hmm. Cleveland. And it's a great chance to try a lot of 
Italian foods and a lot of really great beer, a lot of good people going to the Feast of the Assumption. Homebrew festivals, we have one of the largest Oktoberfests in the world. And actually in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is about four hours south of us, that is the largest Oktoberfest outside of Germany. It can be seen from space, which is really <laughs> cool. So even if you don't go to the Cleveland one, if you're in yeah. the area, go down to Cincinnati and hit that one up too. So Absolutely. there's That's always good, something in Cleveland. That's awesome. <laughs> Get some good German food. So with your podcast, a Starter and a Chaser, what is your goal with it? You guys are introducing each other to your own fields of expertise, but what do you want to do with it? Our, our main goal is a have fun. When we set this up, we, we listed our goals and number one was to have fun. Because if we're not having fun, we're not doing something that we need to continue. So that's our number one goal. Our next goal is to, to eventually make this our job. We want this to be our full-time, 40 hours a week job, where we are able to dedicate our time to reviewing products to educating people, whether it's the beer side or the whiskey side. We want to do on locations and, and do brewery tours and be able to show people what's going on in the scene and what cool equipment and techniques that professionals are using to create their products and eventually have our own whiskey label, whether it's buying exactly. product from, from one of the big guys, MGP, or doing our own still we want to have our own label eventually that's awesome you don't yeah, have your own brewery though i go back and forth on that the brewing industry is so large it's gotten a little hard to break in but the the, the micro distillery scene is booming it's right. huge it's just getting its legs underneath it so i think that would be an easier in for us as a value-added product goes. And if your listeners want to help us reach some of our goals, they can always sign up for our Patreon account. They can visit us at patreon.com backslash starter and chaser. And have you been getting some support from Patreon? Yes, we just started advertising that we are doing a Patreon account and we have some signups now. Of course, people that sign up get rewards. We only have two levels right now, but the introductory level is uh, only $5 and you get a starter and a chaser bumper sticker and access to exclusive content that we're only putting on our Patreon page. Very nice. So you mentioned doing some brewery tours. Or is that only going to be in person? No, that's going to be on YouTube. Uh, we just tested out our first on location shoot last Saturday, which went really well. And we're hoping that this Saturday we're going to be filming a bunch of episodes at a brewery down just south of Cleveland. So awesome. uh, we're going to definitely be doing on locations and brewery tours for the YouTube channel. That's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to seeing that. I hope you get to do Oktoberfest. I'd love to see you guys go down there. Yeah, I hope they do it this year. I'm German myself, so it's, it's close to my heart. You'll probably yeah. see me dr yeah. drinking and singing German songs. So. Nice. But you don't put on the later hosen, do you? Yeah. No, I'm <laughs> going to be getting that. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned a fantastic food scene there. And I had seen your comment there on pairing. So you liked Pilsner and pizza. You said that was one of your favorite food pairings. What are some other ones that you really like? Well, pizza and, and Pilsner is always the classic. Spicy food and IPAs 
which uh, we had talked about briefly with one of the products that you import, the spicy mm-hmm. rice cakes. Spicy foods always pair well with hoppy beers. So whether it's a spicy Italian meatball, spaghetti, or you can do a spicy Thai, doing an IPA or a double IPA will balance that out a lot. Also finding a, a dessert that's not overwhelmingly sweet and pairing it with an imperial stout is always nice because you get some of the dark roasts and the maltiness from the stout pairing with a little bit of the sweetness for the dessert is a nice accent as well. Yeah, I think it's nice when you can light up different parts of your palate and they balance each other out like that. And a spicy one, as far as all the feedback I'm getting, is the higher alcohol in a double IPA or in a stout, that's going to cut some of that and clean your palate. And so it's not sitting there burning on your tongue, especially if you're really sensitive to the spice. A lot of that can be the malt sugar that is in beer as well, especially in higher concentrations, the dextrins, etc. in imperial stouts and higher gravity beers. Sugar cuts heat, in particular capsaicin, the main chemical that makes peppers hot. That helps to really cut that. And with the hoppy beers, you get that hot bitterness that can actually still stand up to the heat. So sometimes that heat will overwhelm your palate and you won't be able to taste a lighter beer. But if you've got something that's got a nice hot bite to it that can hold up to that heat, then that's a winning combo in my book. Now for summertime, what would be something that you'd recommend? People are going to barbecue, they might do some lighter dishes. What are some nice combinations to do in summer? If you're going light, like a nice picnic, a French saison would be really good. French saisons are usually very light in their body, but they have a lot of complexity from the use of Britannomyces wild yeast. And that lends to barnyard funk and peppercorn and really cool stuff that is really refreshing on a summer's day. As far as barbecue goes, pairing that barbecue with the malty roast of a stout is nice. But, you know, it's light, it's hot, you want something easy drinking. So good Czech Pilsner, always delicious on a warm summer day grilling. Yeah, I'm already getting a little thirsty. (laughs) So do you have some ones made locally that people can order online? Three beers to try for summer. Three beers to try for summer might be tough. How about we do top three beers just to try? Sure. Because uh, Great Lakes Brewing Company, Edmund Fitzgerald Porter. And what do you like about that? What I like about that is it is a classic, classic, example of the style. If you want to know what porter should taste like, that one's actually listed in the beer judge certification program. And that's by Great Lakes Brewing Company. And so that would be that would be one. Number two would be Fathead's Brewing Company, Headhunter, mm-hmm. uh, double IPA. Bitter, hop forward, but well balanced, very drinkable, very well crafted. They're out of North Olmstead and Middleburg Heights, just south of Cleveland. And my number three spot would be Masthead Brewing Company, single origin coffee stout. It's made with Ethiopian Yergachev coffee, very drinkable, 
coffee stout. And the fruity notes, the vinous notes from the Yurgachev coffee really comes through. The roast in the stout doesn't dominate that. So that's really amazing what they're doing. And they're just downtown Cleveland, Ohio, both for the Fatheads and the Masthead Brewing Company. We read those on our YouTube channel. That actually intrigues me. I've had Ethiopian coffee before, which they don't roast it like other coffees. It's said to be the original coffee, and it's much more mild. You don't get that acidic taste to it. That's what really impressed me about what Mast had did with their stout, because usually for stouts, you use a French roast or a heavily roasted coffee to overcome the roast that's already in stouts. But Yurgachev is a very lightly roasted coffee. And generally, those get blown over by the beer. But they did it right. And you can definitely taste the subtle notes of that coffee in there. So have you had Ethiopian beer? Yes. And it's been probably about 10 years since I've had it. And I barely remember what it tasted like. I'm so so curious about it. I know there's some Ethiopian communities. There's one in L.A., there's one there. But as far as I know, no one's mass producing it. It's still something that people just make at home. Yeah. If you really want a cool Ethiopian drink to try, look for Ethiopian Tej, T-apostrophe-E-J. It's Mm. a type of mead that's made in Ethiopia. And generally, if you go to a real traditional Ethiopian restaurant and you ask for Tej, they usually have it in the back. It's a mead, so it's water, honey, and then they use the roots, the stems, and the leaves of the gisho tree, and that adds a bittering balance to the honey sweetness. It's a really cool drink if you can find it. But again, it's something you have to go ask for. Exactly. Or make it at home. Or make it at home. <laughs> you can yeah. do that too. <laughs> yeah. Are you making anything at home yourself right now? You still experiment? Not not currently. I'm in between projects, but I'm currently barrel aging a rum. So I started out and I barrel aged some of my homemade Applejack and next I'm going to be aging some tequila. Is it going to be straight tequila or are you going to do mezcal? Haven't gone down the route for the tequila yet. I'd like to Mm. really try to find something unique, like uh, not just the traditional agave, but maybe something like Desert Spoon which while it is an agave relative, it has a completely different flavor profile than agave. Mm. So I'd like to do something cool like that. But then again, costs are a little bit of a factor in this because it's a three liter barrel. So I got to make sure I balance the cost with the end flavor result that I'm looking for. Is there anything that you haven't made before other than tequila that you would love to try and make in the future? Oh, slow gin. When we're talking distilled products, slow gin would be one that I'd like to try. Everybody knows gin. Not too many people know slow gin. So slow gin has slow berries, which are spelled S-L-O. It's grown on the west coast of the United States, and it's grown in Europe as well. It's a red berry, and it's got a very unique fruitiness to it. Uh, A lot of commercial examples are really cloyingly sweet and artificial. There are very few companies that make it well. Sonoma Spirit Works in Northern California is one company that commercially does it well. So that's something I'd like to try someday. That's cool. I started making plum wine for the same reason, because the only plum wine 
in California they can get is ridiculously sweet. It tastes like syrup. And my wife and I hate it. My wife's from Japan. Her mom makes it at home. And it's not at all like that because it's homemade. So there's one farm in California that makes the Japanese style plum or grows them. Pick that up and I've got another month to wait before it's ready. But I think that's the key for making stuff at home. Sometimes you can't get the flavor profile you want. They make stuff that they think everybody's going to like, but especially in the U.S., it tends to be too sweet. I think that's really cool that you couldn't find what you were looking for commercially, so you're making it yourself. That's great, man. And that's where a lot of the homebrew movement started in America. It was all macro brewery dominated. It's fizzy yellow water, and people wanted to try stouts and IPAs, so they started brewing brewing at home. Yeah, it's such a big scene, and I've got a few friends that are home brewers. I'm sure I'm going to start doing it myself, too. Want to learn more about John and his podcast? Most importantly, you can find us on YouTube by searching A Starter and a Chaser podcast. Give us a subscribe. Give us a thumbs up. That really, really helps us out. All of our episodes can be seen on YouTube. You can find us on Instagram at A Starter and a Chaser podcast. We're on Facebook as well under A Starter and Chaser podcast. You can find us on all the major podcast networks. Instagram and YouTube are our two biggest outlets though. So give us a follow, give us a like, give us a subscribe. We'd greatly appreciate it. Coming up on The Drinking Buddy Show, I'm chatting with Caitlin Johnson and Melanie Demi from 512 Brew, their fun Austin-based craft beer podcast. We'll talk about what brought them both to Austin, what they love about the scene, get some brewery recommendations, and more. Thanks for listening to The Drinking Buddy Show. Be sure to subscribe and share it with your buddies. I'm going to be at Lagu Cafe, that's L-A-G-U Cafe, in Irvine on Thursday, August 6th for their pop-up event featuring pastries from Anaheim's Okayama Kobo Bakery, Tanota Takoyaki, and of course, Laiu Senbei from Drinking Buddy. It's pre-order only, so head to www.okayamakobousa.com slash pop-up and order now. Check out our latest artisanal snack offerings at www.thedrinkingbuddyshop.com and connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Take care and drink well.